sickness and uh, other events. Um, no choir today. Um, so we'll move into Galatians chapter 5. Um, as we continue to work through the fruit of the Spirit, um, remember the fruit is singular. So every believer gets all of these. Um, there are no exceptions to that. You can't say, well, I just don't have any self-control. Uh, you're just not exercising it. Um, but today, I think the, the, the pieces that we're going to look at today um, are in particular um, attitudes that each of us need to understand and express in particular. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read the Word of God? Heavenly Father, come upon us with your Holy Spirit. Give us understanding uh, that we might see the words, that they might penetrate our hearts and minds, that we would understand what each aspect of the fruit is, and that we may live it out. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 22 of Galatians chapter 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and I'll read 23, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. You want to keep your Bibles open, we're going to turn to a couple places in Scripture that will um, uh, give us examples of the fruit of the Spirit and how they are to be lived out. So last week we mentioned that um, the fruit of the Spirit are kind of bookended uh, by walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. So in its simplest terms, walking in the Spirit means to be obedient to God's Word. How do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? How do I know what the Spirit wants me to do? I must abide in His Word. I must stay in His Word. Uh, remember the believer, when you become a believer, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately, that doesn't mean that you are immediately and perfectly obedient to all things that the Word lays out for us. In fact, it might be quite a while before you are mature enough to understand some of the things that you are willing in your own will to conform your life to the Word of God. These are sometimes very difficult things, uh, depending upon when you come to Christ, when the Holy Spirit fills you at that moment, because you may have some long-enduring practices, relationships, um, habits uh, that are difficult to break. And in fact, I, I know people who have struggled all of their lives, 30, 40, 50 years, to break habits that were formed prior to their coming to Christ. Now, obedience and the fruit of the Spirit are things that should mark the life of every believer. Every one of us should be seen by those things, but they are somewhat determined by our personalities. I mean, so many things are determined by our personalities, and what are we like? Let's say you become a Christian, and you're and I'll just stereotypical, and you're just the classic type A, you're just a driver, and you're a consumer of knowledge, and you just do things to the nth degree. You become a believer. You might be the type of person who is just reading the Word and just filling your mind as much as you can with God's Word. And let's say you're a type B, and you're more of a 
how do I want to say that? You go along, okay, and, and you're good, and, and, and you're just not that driven to consume. So the, the type A, remember I'm being stereotypical here, the type A is going to know more, going to want to apply more, and the type B is going to go, yeah, I'm growing, and, and I'm, I'm, the fellowship is sweet, and I love being around everybody, and the type A sitting in the corner just underlining their Bible all the time, okay? And, and it just depends somewhat on your personality. Um, are you determined in your personality to, to know the word more? Uh, how, what is your level of devotion to the Lord? Are you willing to, in a sense, test the Lord and to see if his word is true? Okay, some people say, well, yeah, it's true. And, but you, maybe you're the type of person that has to bang your head against the wall several times to see if the wall is hard. And maybe that's the way you are in your Christian life. Uh, our personalities differ. Now, some see the words in Paul. Remember, this was my, when I first became a believer at 15, this was the verse that I read first. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, it was a different translation, and it said, worry about nothing and pray about everything. And I said, well, sure, because that's what it says. So did I stop worrying? You bet I stopped worrying. Okay. Did I start praying? I, I started to pray. Um, now, that's just the way that it was for me. Okay. And, and, and it was a great relief in my life when I saw those words that Paul had written to the church at Philippi to not worry, but to put those things before the Lord. doesn't mean I forget them, but it doesn't mean I'm sitting at home going, oh, man, I'm dying here. What am I going to do? No. You're either going to trust the Lord who is sovereign over all things or you're going to try to fix them yourselves. So if you've been redeemed, then the beauty of the fruit of the Spirit will be made manifest in your life more and more fully as you grow and as you mature, as you conform to the image of Christ. So when we we walk in the Spirit, obedient to the Word of God, Letting the word of God, the word of Christ dwell richly in us. This helps us to mature and to grow more and more like Christ. Okay? So we're going to cover four of the fruit of the Spirit today, four aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to begin with peace. Now, this is a word which is pretty common. Uh, If you're in a a pew Bible and you're at at chapter 5 of Galatians, you can just look over at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul opens almost every, uh, every one of his epistles with that phrase, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the grace and the peace that we experience come from where? God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. They are not man, it is peace that we experience is not a manifestation that comes from somewhere within us. It is given to us. In fact, it is the peace that passes all understanding that makes it the peace of Christ. The word translates into tranquility, calmness, but it's a calmness that's in here. It's not just the outward appearance of calmness. It is a calmness that stems from deep within us. Much like the joy that we talked about last week, um, 
it's not the type of feeling that we see. It's not happiness, but it is a joy. It is a contentment. Peace and joy are often mixed together as being a root that is given to us and is experienced deep within us. John chapter 14 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So the peace that we experience comes from Christ. It is the peace of Christ. It is the joy of Christ. It is the peace that passes all understanding. That means it is above and beyond the understanding of this world. How can you live that way when the world around you is falling to pieces? It's because I have the peace of Christ within us. Okay, It is not our peace. It is the peace of Christ. So the peace that Christ experienced is the same peace that we can experience. Now the Greek word for peace... Does anybody know that? It's Irene. Okay, that's how we say it, Irene. It's a woman's name. So if you see, if you have a friend who's named Irene, walk up there and say, hey, peace. <laughs> I said at the bank years ago, sorry to diverge, at the bank years ago, and um, the woman's name at the bank was Tabitha. And I said, do you know the other name? And she said, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's Dorcas. Okay, and I said, well, she says, yes, I've heard that all my life. I said, oh, sorry uh, to open that up. Uh, but, but, you know, so you get two, two sides of it. What does the name mean? Peace. Irene means peace. It signifies, if we had, if we had to illustrate it in some fashion, it's like the guiltless, guiltless sleep of a child. Okay? Now, you, you've all held that little child who was like this. Okay, and you thought if I spent three minutes like this, I'd spent the rest of the day like this. And, and, you know, you go and you're holding the baby and you're running the vacuum cleaner and the baby's not stirring. It's the guiltless sleep of a child. That's the peace that we're talking about. And this is the peace the believer experiences and, and, and with our relationship with the Lord in particular. We have a peace with our Heavenly Father. We have that peace that comes from our Heavenly Father. Now remember, prior to being regenerated, prior to be saved, we were enemies of our Heavenly Father. And there's no middle ground. You're either in Christ or you're out of Christ. You're either a child of God or you're an enemy of God. And you may think to yourself, well, I didn't hate God before I was saved. You were his enemy. Okay, You belonged to Satan at that time. Now, as you are saved, as your life has been changed, you belong to our Heavenly Father. Okay? You are His, and He will never let you go. So, we're at peace with God because God has made this a reality through the work of Christ. He has done the work that we would be at peace with the one that we offended. Okay? So, I can be in the worst storm of my life. And I can still experience peace. I can know that peace because I didn't create it. It was given to me. It would be manifest in my life because the Lord has given it to me. So a heart that is at peace with the Lord, is confidence in their salvation. God knows me. He knows what I'm going to say next. He knows every hair on my head. It is his providence in which I trust. Now, Let's look at some of this piece. If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. 
Now, as you're turning there, I'll just remind you that this takes place on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. The mountains around the Sea of Galilee rise up some 1,200 feet. Uh, It is like a tub, and storms blow up on the Sea of Galilee very quickly. And uh, also think, if you take uh, uh, take your bathtub and go like this and make a splash... And think of how long it takes for the water to come to calmness once again. Okay, so keep that in mind as we read Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. That's the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat. Now, There is a boat on display at a museum around the Sea of Galilee, and it's called, affectionately known as the Jesus Boat. Um, When there was a drought and the sea was receding, uh, back in, I think it was late 80s, um, they found this fishing boat that was in the mud. So they went and dug it out, preserved it, uh, and now it is on display. And you can see this. It's called, as I said, the Jesus Boat. It's about 27 feet long. Seven and a half feet wide. Its its sideboard is only about a foot and a half. Okay, so that's about a foot and a half out of the water. And this was the typical fishing boat of the first century on the Sea of Galilee. So we can say with pretty, I, I can say with, with quite a bit of confidence that I would be pretty scared to be in one of those boats when a storm blows up on the Sea of Galilee. With a sideboard of only a foot and a half, water is gushing over with the waves. Look at verse um, 37. And a great windstorm arose. I remind you that most of these people were fishermen in the past. They were used to this. So that the boat was already filling. And so there worked up. And where is Jesus? He was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. He's asleep. Now, since all things were made by him and through him and for him, he can be at peace at all times because he has authority over all things. Now, those in the boat with him don't quite get this yet. They they don't understand this, and we'll see their response. Verse 38, but he was in the stern asleep on a cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Great calm. Glass-like surface on the Sea of Galilee. Remember the bathtub that you made the big splash in? And it took several minutes for the water to stop sloshing back and forth. So here you have the Sea of Galilee that takes quite a while to get across. That turns to a glass-like surface at the words of Jesus. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? They were afraid of the storm. I think they were more afraid of Jesus once the storm was calmed. Because they didn't quite understand him. And like, who is this guy who's in our boat? Who can still the storm? Who can speak a word and the wind stops and the sea is calm. There is no earthly explanation for the peace 
that passes all understanding, for the peace that is available to us in the storms of life, other than it comes through Christ, who holds all things in his hand. Colossians chapter 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called. So not only is it a fruit of the Spirit, but it's a command that peace would rule in our hearts. You as a believer are called to let the peace of Christ rule within you. Thessalonians calls us to live in peace with one another. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And Paul said, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with all men. This is what we're called to do. Peace. Let's go to the next one. Patience. I don't want to deal with that one. Let's go on the next one. (laughs) Patience. Okay, we go back to Galatians. This particular word refers to being patient with those who make you angry in a trial. Make you angry rather than a trial in your life. So this is speaking specifically about patience with one another. Okay, now I joked last week about how many of us will wait 40 minutes for a table at a restaurant and things like that. That's not really the patience they're talking about here. It's patience between me and you. Okay, am I being patient with you, even though you make me crazy? No, let's flip it around. It's probably the other way around. Even though I make you crazy, are you demonstrating the patience of Christ with me? Okay, are you, and it's not enough just to not be impatient. That's, this, this is what the word is talking about. It's not enough just to not show your impatience. You have to be patient. You have to willingly be patient. Okay? It also says don't lash out in anger with those who try your patience. Why? Our example comes from God. Now, I'm going to quote a couple passages here. Numbers 14. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers of the children to the third and the fourth generation. Psalm 86, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient. He's not slow, he's patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Think of the things the Lord puts up with from us. Okay? Now, now not, not just us in this room. The church as a whole. How many false teachers are tolerated within the church? How many people preach a gospel that serves man and not the Lord? How many times has the church wandered away? Think of the, the extent of sin within the world and and when will the lord judge the world well it sets in the fullness of time we think uh there have been some times i thought it was full okay when when the sin as uh, jonathan edwards said the sin of the amalekites was full okay uh when will god's patience be at an end this is why god is so patient with sin Romans chapter 9, what if God 
desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Do you know why he bears with patience the vessels that are prepared for destruction? It's so that the vessels of mercy can understand his patience, can understand his kindness, can understand his mercy. His demonstration of patience is to show mercy to those who are saved. So the patience that we are to exhibit, not just bearing with people who try us, not just not retaliating against them, but making sure that our anger, our impatience is non-existent. Not just not shown, but it has to be non-existent. And I know that's asking a lot. Okay, I, I know that. And you might think, well, it's just easier for me not to be around those people that, that try my patience. The scripture doesn't say that. It says be patient with them. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. To be patient with those who have offended us, it's a reflection of what God has done toward us. Think of God's patience with you. What, which, which was the last day that you didn't offend God? It's probably before you were conceived. Okay, that's, that's gonna be, we'll have to go back that far. Each day our sin is an offense to God, but each day it is covered by the mercies of Christ. How long did it take for you to cry out to the Lord to seek forgiveness? Okay, how many years were you pursuing sin before the Lord opened your eyes? He was patient with you all those years. Romans chapter 2, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That leads us to the next one, kindness. Kindness is a word that can be translated as goodness of heart, gentleness, although gentleness is a distinct word here in the fruit of the Spirit, mildness, um, It's kind of like kindness and gentleness are kind of looking at the same thing from different aspects. Uh, Our our example of kindness is seen in Christ's actions toward sinners. Now, I'm just going to quote one, but let's let's turn to Luke chapter 7, and we'll look in depth at one of these examples. In Mark chapter 10, he says, let the children come to me. The the apostles are trying to stop the kids. He says, no, let them come. In um, uh, Luke chapter... Seven, Jesus raises the widow's son. Uh, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus heals Jairus' daughter. In John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. He doesn't just forgive her, but what does he say? Go and sin no more. That's kindness. Okay, kindness is not just, I'm going to lavish forgiveness on you. I'm also going to make sure that you now pursue godliness. And here in Luke chapter 7, right towards the end, beginning in verse 36, um, this is one of the best examples of kindness and forgiveness. Now, let's read verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Woman of the city who was a sinner. That's kind of a Greek paraphrase for a prostitute. 
Okay? Now, how she got into the house of a Pharisee, that we don't know. But Simon the Pharisee would have never tolerated a woman like this entering his house. But she is there. When she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, it's a feast. Remember, this is kind of how the Romans ate. They were down on one elbow, leaning in and eating like this with their feet out on a settee or maybe cushions or on the floor. And, and the, there are other people who are not invited to the banquet, apparently, who are outside the inner circle of the table who are at the feet of everybody else. Verse 38, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. It's hard for us to understand what this means. To wipe the tears with the hair of her head. Women in the first century did not let their hair down in public. They let their hair down only in the privacy of their own homes with their husbands. This woman takes her hair down, and it was the norm to have quite a bit of hair, not to cut it and leave it long, takes her hair down in this sign of sorrow, repentance, submission, that I am open before the Lord here, and with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with oil. Now... Here come the responses in 39. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Okay, you can just see, if we're going to put words in these guys' mouths, are you kidding me? Doesn't he know who that is? Do you even know what kind of woman that is? He's, he's being touched by a sinner. Now, I'm a Pharisee, and we don't even hang out with sinners. Well, a lot of good that does to the sinner, right? Jesus said, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick, just like the doctor, okay? She's probably listened to him speak, and she is so moved by his words of um, forgiveness and grace and repentance that she is overcome With sorrow because, look at verse 47, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Now, go back to 41, because Jesus has to tell them what's going on here. So he teaches them a parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, remember a denarii was a day's wage, and the other 50 When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon, that's the Pharisee in whose house he's in, said, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, as opposed to the Pharisees' sins, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This takes us to the last for today. Goodness. Kindness has been extended to us. We are to extend it to others. Goodness. There is no secular Greek word for goodness. Just in the same way as there is no secular Greek word for humility. Because the Greeks saw humility as weakness. The word that is used here for goodness it was created by the church in the first century. Okay? You know how sometimes we create new words um, because... We don't have a word that fits it. The same type of thing was here. They were, it was created as a way to express the type of life that we are to live. The type of life that flows out of our relationship with Christ. Our attitudes, uh, they go deeper than anything. Our, our attitudes of love and grace and mercy go deeper than anything that can be expressed in this world. Goodness is defined as the free, free bestowal of bounty on those who are in need. We might say generosity. It's the opposite of the word that's listed under the works of the flesh, envy. Remember, envy is not just, boy, I like what you have, and I'd like to have one of those. Envy is, I like what you have, and I want yours, and I don't want you to have it. Goodness is rejoicing in what others have. Goodness might even providing, be providing others what they need. The goodness of the spiritual nature is a generosity of heart that goes beyond what sinful man understands. The world should look at us and go, I can't believe those people. That they would do that. That they would give like that. That they would be be generous like that with their time, with their talents, with their abilities, all those types of things. Now there are plenty of people in the world that we would call good. But good is defined by our Heavenly Father. And if we're going to demonstrate the goodness, it has to be relative to how he defines it. A generosity of heart that goes beyond what sinful man can understand. Goodness is demonstrated by our willingness to be generous with what the Lord has given us. What could be our time? As I said, time, talents, material things, whatever. Beyond what the sinful world understands so here's the fruit of the spirit for today peace patience kindness goodness we all have it we all are to live it so let's pray our heavenly father we come before you today and these these can be a real test for us to know the peace that passes understanding it is given to us will we live in that Will we trust you in that? To exercise patience with those who really try our patience. Not just exercise it, but to be patient. To enjoy our time with those who try our patience. To demonstrate the kindness and the goodness that has been given to us. Lord, these can be a pretty strong order. But sometimes they're very easy. But often we are caught unaware, not on our, not prepared, and we fall short. This is why, Heavenly Father, 
you have called us to abide in your word that we might know you and know you more that we might trust you and trust you more that we be always ready to give a defense of the gospel always be ready to live out the fruit of the spirit lord you've enabled us you've given it to us We pray that we would be ready to do it. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.